Okay, so uh, I've never tackled the nuts and bolts of experiencing eternal life and trying to teach about it this way. So it's a new experience for me. And I've been praying about it, and uh, I've been using the guinea pigs on Tuesday night to uh, check some stuff out. But ultimately, to try to teach about a relationship abstractly seems weird, kind of, uh, when you have that relationship to draw on. And so that's what I was praying about a minute ago, and that's what I want to try to do tonight. And that's why we're going to tackle a few passages of Scripture. Hi, Gene and Robin. Uh, so I need a, a couple of volunteers. We've already got a couple uh, that are going to be on Zoom and able to read for us. I need some volunteers. And I have uh, one of my old Bibles, and I've got it marked up. And I'll show you what that's like. Now, this is going to be a little tricky for you guys on Zoom because you're not going to have access to this. So you're going to have to leave. Um, I mean, you're going to have to kind of pay attention and work with me. On here... I have a um, PowerPoint that has some verses emphasized. And in just a moment, transfer that over. That'll come up. And I just want us to allow the Scriptures in the hands of the Holy Spirit to try to trigger something of a revelation of knowing God. And so in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it all talks about that. Jesus talks about it. If you remember, John chapter 13 is where Jesus gathered with the disciples and washed their feet. Um, John 14 uh, flows out of that where he's talking about, uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. 14 also talks about uh, Tim's favorite scripture. In that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, you're in me and uh, I'm in you. Chapter 15 talks about uh, the father being the husbandman, Jesus being the the bride. Makes some amazing claims, like if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you. How many would like to have that one verse, normal uh, the normal characterization of your life? I would. I would. Uh, 16 talks about the Holy Spirit, which is going to answer a question, Ronnie, that you raised on Tuesday night about, uh, uh, about where's the Holy Spirit in this eternal life is knowing the Father and Jesus Christ he sent, or the one true God. Uh, so 16 talks about that, and powerfully, actually. And then 17 is where Jesus prays to his Father and talks about that. So I don't have any idea if this is going to be cool or just like, you know, but... I think there's possibilities here. So, I got my glasses, which is helpful. We'll have the PowerPoint up here in a matter of moments. Okay, Elizabeth, you were you were uh, our first Zoom volunteer. So, turn your mic on and say hi. Hi. Okie dokie. All right. So, uh, I've got commentary a little bit, or I've got some emphasis on verses 3 and 4 and verse 20 out of 13. So what I need you to do is when you're, when you're reading, I'll sit here and use this Bible for it, when you start reading chapter 13, essentially I want you to read it right straight through, but I'm going to click on uh, 3 and 4, the verses there, 
and make just a couple points of emphasis about it. And when I'm, you know, so when you hear me doing that, or I don't know, Riley's probably going to be trying to swing it over so you guys can see the PowerPoint some. We'll give this a try. All right? Everybody pray. Okay. For the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God, and he was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Okay, good. Now pause for a second. Here's what I want to, I want the emphasis to be, and by the way, Elizabeth, that was beautiful, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the chapter. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. I don't know about you, but I don't know very many people, including myself, who ever think of the depth of a context like that. We read about Jesus washing their feet. We make fun of Peter, as we're going to see in a minute when Elizabeth keeps reading, that, you know, he, he, he said, oh, wash my whole body. You know, this is the context that is being reflected in that prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus was sent forth by God. He's going back from God. And the Father had given all things in his hand. Try to envision this. If you've seen one of the Jesus movies or The Chosen or something, there's a room and it's got wood chairs and it's got dust around and it's got curtains on the wall or however they were built at that time. They're in a room, an earthy place probably. And here sits Jesus, full of one specific bit of knowledge. The Father has given all things into his hands. Keep reading, Elizabeth. And he poured the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I am, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also to wash another's feet. 
for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is the scripture may be fulfilled. I missed a line. No, you're, you're okay. I, okay. I, I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Okay. You know, I'm not claiming divine inspiration for these points of emphasis, but... He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives whomever I send uh, 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 receives him who sent me. One of the questions that we've been pondering, I've been pondering, is we are looking at how do we engage more dynamically in eternal life now? Because I am convinced that because eternal life is a relational thing, it's knowing God and knowing his son. And Jesus is sitting here saying, who sent, you know, that you can receive this. I believe that we have a chance to engage with the creator and the king of the universe in ways that the church has never promoted us to engage. Almost never. It's not a matter of just sitting down and listening about truth. It's not just a matter. Now, the stuff that Elizabeth read leading up to this, yes, Jesus set an example. We should be washing one another's feet. We should stop spiritualizing stuff like that. And we should start probably doing it. Because there's a, I mean, it's simple. It's a simple relational thing. Just like communion is a simple and powerful relational thing. But the reality is, I don't know, you know, so there's people all over the world that I don't know how to get to God. How about you receive the one he sent? There's something here. So Jesus then leads in that prayer in John 17 by saying that this is eternal life, that they would know you. And he, he starts it off by saying, Father, we'll get there eventually. Father. But he leads off with them saying uh, that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you sent. We asked the question on Tuesday night and, and began to ponder it a little bit. Why both of them? Why does eternal life require that we know the Father and the Son? And then Ronnie asked the question, where's the Holy Spirit in the middle of it? We'll get to that in John 16. We live too much of our lives not consciously aware of and engaged with God. I think. And I'd love, I'd love to correct it. Go ahead and keep reading. You're doing a fantastic job. Just read right through to the end of the... End of the chapter. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. 
There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said, said to him, tell us who it is. Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He leaning back, thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Escaret. After the morsel, Satan then entered, them, entered him. Therefore Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have the need for, for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and is God glorified in him? If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Okay, stop just st stop just for a second. I don't think I put this one up. I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, I didn't. I thought about it, but as we read into it, let, 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 me, let me read this one again, therefore. Uh, da, 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 da. Where's it at? Glorified him. God, da, da, da. Okay, uh, when therefore he had gone out, Jesus said, now, is the Son of Man glorified? And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So again, I just want us to, to let the impact of that little verse. So here is Judas released to his mission. And the glory of God and the glorifying of God, the Father and the Son, and all of the ramifications about that, in this earthy environment where a betrayer is running out to meet with the high priests in his cohort to join with the Romans, the entire celebration and glorification of the plan of redeeming mankind happens right there. And so the question, why do we... Why, why is eternal life both of them? Do you see how intimately the giving of glory by the Father, the receiving of glory by the Son, and the giving of glory to the Father by the Son is wrapped up in this situation? We're witnessing on earth the culmination of the ages, the redemptive plan to overcome the, the, the alienation of heart and mind of people. It's incredible. And I know I'm just using words, and... And I know those words are uh, inadequate to express it. And that's why I'm asking, Holy Spirit, this was a pretty significant moment. Impact our spirits with what was going on here. The door closes behind Judas. And Jesus begins to celebrate the glory between he and his father according to the plan for which he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's crazy. Go ahead, Elizabeth, finish out chapter for me. Um, 31, right? Oh, little children. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, 
Now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Okay, wow, that was great. First of all, give Elizabeth a hand. That was a good job. All right, so here we are. Here we are. We're going to move into 14, and Jesus is going to begin talking about, and you guys know what's in there. You know, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've lived that, I've, I've loved that verse, and I've treated it like a doctrine in my life, but I, I don't know if it's going to work as good as we move forward as it did then, but this is, I can feel that this is the nexus of heaven and earth where eternity is being released into the lives of everybody that'll take it. That's incredible. Okay, so who wants to read chapter 14? Come up here and sit down, a local. Uh, I don't know. Try and see. All right, so here's how it's marked. Uh, there's a lot in here. Okay, so it's gonna, your, your reading is probably going to get a little bit more uh, chopped up. But give it a try and see if you can see him. Can you see him? Larger than life, just oh. like the gospel should be. Okay, there you go. So in, into the mic, and then I'll get, we'll try to coordinate. So I'm, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. You got my glasses, I can't do anything. <laughs> okay. All right, so here's the first one. It's okay. the first verse. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right, 14, I'm here. You guys are being patient. Thank you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. All right. In the New American Standard, there's a footnote that says that that can legitimately be translated, you believe in God, believe also in me. It doesn't matter to me if that's the, the point of emphasis. This is one of those things. Again, we ask the question, why, Jesus, did you say that this is eternal life? That eternal life is knowing uh you, and he's talking to the Father, just two verses before, he's no, is to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus whom you sent. This is why. He's encouraging. Here, Don't let your heart be troubled. Here's the answer to your problem. Keep in mind that it's very likely that this followed without a chapter break, and he had just told Peter, before a rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, and you just claimed that you would follow me to death. But, my brother... Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. This is one of those first unions. We saw the hints of it before. Jesus is sitting there in the full knowledge that everything God has given him, he put into his hands. And now he's saying, believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me. All right, go, go again. You get a, a whole two-verse run there. We're going to two? Uh, actually, go ahead and read all the way through... Seven, yeah. Two all through the way, seven. All, all the way down through seven. Okay. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have not told you. I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Okay. Now, I want to I point out some stuff here. This is actually going pretty good. Kind of the way I hope. A little better, actually. Uh, okay, so Jesus asserts that you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas comes back and says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right, so that one thing right there explains one of the ultimate necessities of Jesus saying eternal life is knowing you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. So this whole sin idea of who Jesus is and what he's doing. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The issue here is not to debate the exclusivity of Christianity and get offended. Uh, the issue is reality is being re revealed. I and the Father are one. It, it, God's not trying to keep people away. He has given into this room the one way to get everybody home. Okay? And then this. Uh, Jesus says, If you had known me, eternal life is knowing. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now, if he'd stopped there, Thomas would have had reason to be disturbed. But he didn't. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. That's a huge statement. That's a huge statement. We're asking the question, if eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he sent, that's really important. So what do we have to do to know? In some ways, I'm going to say, not much. Not much. Why? Because the eternal word of the Father came in the incarnation and just answered Thomas' question by saying, because you're sitting across from me, because you see me, now you know. Now you know. Okay, I'm still fresh off of the New Covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, one of those weird conditions in there. No one will need to tell his neighbor, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Because I'm going to meet their transgressions with mercy and I'm going to forgive their sins. I still don't fully understand that. I know that we can't just sit around and do nothing. I know that we can't not be a voice for the proclamation of the gospel. But I know this, that it's the incarnation of Jesus and him sitting in this room making this declaration. That's the same voice that spoke into darkness and chaos and said, let there be light. So how can we possibly create a universe? It's easy. We don't have to. 
He did. And there's something to get a hold of here. Something to get a hold of here. You know, and anyway, keep reading. What do you got? Verse 8. Uh, let's see. We're here. We'll, we'll jump ahead. Go ahead and read 8 through 11. Okay. 8 through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. That was verse 12. Okay. No problem. In chapter 12, the narrative in the Gospel of John, uh, the, the, uh, God speaks out of heaven, and people thought it was an angel. They thought it was thundering. Uh if you go all the way back to Sinai, God was making a ruckus up there on top of Sinai, and it scared everybody. And they go, we can't take it. You talk to Moses, talk here. The challenge of humanity to hear the voice of the Lord. Adam hid from the voice of the Lord that came to visit him, and, and he had no reason whatsoever to be afraid except what he had done and, and the transformation of his perspective and vision and the independence of that that was there. And I don't know all about that, but that's pretty close to the truth, I think. Throughout the world, people are going, how can we know what God wants? How can we hear his voice? How can we see this? Right here is the answer. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the next thing he says is he said, these words are not my own. They're the Father doing his work in me. And I, I love a couple of stories, and you guys have heard me say it a lot, but I want to get it on record in this particular context. We know what God thinks about adultery. He hates it because it destroys lives and it's sin. But through Jesus, we see what God thinks about adulterous says or adulterers. He loves them. He has compassion on them. He is devoted to protecting them. He's devoted to delivering them and setting them free. He's devoted to empowering them to overcome the snare that that adultery is. We don't have to choose one side or another. We don't have to, to, to pretend that it's not a sin. We have to look at God in Jesus Christ and realize that's the answer to the question. That's what God's saying. That's what God's doing. Okay, keep going. So I want to read verse 12 again. Okay. I want to begin in verse 12 again. Yep. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. All right, stop. This is why you get chopped up. Sorry. That's all right. If any of you have ever asked, do I deserve to have this prayer answered? It's an irrelevant question. Because Jesus says right there, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Not so that... 
your desire is fulfilled. Not so that your motives. I don't think he has a problem with that. But so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why is eternal life knowing the Father and the Son? Because they're inextricable. They're interwoven. They're interlaced. They're interdependent. They're one. They're one. And it only seems strange to us because we live in a fragmented world where oneness is hard to see. But even the motive that we pray is influenced by what eternal life is, knowing the Father and knowing the Son. Okay, keep going. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Okay, just a quick comment about this one. Uh, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. So here is, again, this collaboration. Jesus' request of His Father. The Father responds to that request on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit, uh, we'll get more about Him later. But it's, a, it's the collaboration. This is eternal life. To engage in the collaboration, to really get to know through experience, the loving collaboration of Father God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, keep going. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. But you will behold me. Because I live, you shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Okay, hang on. Mine and Tim's favorite verse. Jesus' foundation, the foundation of his existence and his redemptive work was his complete unalterable awareness that he was in his father. And in the same breath, he extends that to you and me. And you're in me and I'm in you. Eternal life isn't something that, that we're trying to gain. And it isn't something that we're trying to work out, per se. It is the inclusion in what has been since before the beginning. It's the inclusion in this dynamic. And look at how it affects emotional things, even in the heart of God. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Don't trip up on that right now. It's the truth, but don't, don't let that build a big duty thing in your mind. I, and I'll show you why. Uh, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Is that conditional? I'm not going to love you if you don't love my son. I think that's a stupid way to think about it. I think it is, I recognize your affection for Jesus. When we get into the prayer, Jesus says, I gave them your words and they believe that you sent me. The Father's not blind to the fact that you love Jesus. However, imperfectly, 
And we all love him imperfectly, see him imperfectly, because he's infinite and there's no way not to. But the Father is not blind to your love for Jesus. He wasn't blind to your love for Jesus when you thought that the Father himself was going to squish you like a grape. He looked at what you thought about Jesus, and he realized the value of that. This is extraordinary, guys. Our relationship with eternity is not some fragile thing, and it's not built just on a couple of checkboxes being checked off. The Father's whole person is focused on on what we are to Jesus. This is why that image I have of the Holy Spirit bringing us before the Father sitting on his throne, kind of the Hebrews uh, Hebrews 4 sort of image, come boldly for a son of grace. So I envision coming there with those big things hanging off me. They're really ugly and they need healing. They need forgiving. They need cleansing. They need changing. And here's Jesus sitting next to me. The Father would no more be offended by that thing hanging off my nose because he knows the solution to that is literally sitting next to him. His blood is the answer. His life is the answer. His love is his love for me. And so, anyway, uh, we'll be loved by him. Keep going. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Okay, wait a second. Think about this, guys. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Now, there's two ways that you can think about it. I believe that we should intend with our heart to keep the word of the Lord, to obey his commands. But he says this as a statement. If anyone, you or you or you or you, loves me, he will keep my word. Love doesn't come from keeping the word. Keeping the word comes from love. Keeping the word comes from love. And, all right, why is eternal life knowing both the Father and the Son. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Spirit's already been given. I mean, Jesus is asking, and the Father's going to release it. We will come. Most Christians I know, if you say, does Jesus live in your heart? They would say yes, hopefully. Even though they don't understand how or why, and I don't either. But they would say yes. Most Christians, you say, does Father God live in your heart? A lot of them would say no, or they wouldn't know, even though Jesus plainly says it right there. Why? Because eternal life is knowing you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. That's what this is about. That's what he came for. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. I don't understand the mechanics. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're seated with him, and now he lives in our heart. Now the Father takes up his abode in us as well. So I got the whole enchilada as far as the Godhead goes, living in me, taking, making his home in me. All right, keep going. 24 it is. He, would, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Okay, stop. When Jesus was being accosted by the Pharisees, he was very direct with them. 
He says, you've never heard my father's voice nor seen his form. And if you had, you would have loved me. You would have received me. But uh, his word's not in you. Here's where it's at. The very words that we're called to keep are words that are placed in Jesus as a work by the Father. So the moment we say yes to the simplest thing that Jesus does, we have literally paid personal homage and worship to the Father. That's incredible. Eternal life is much more interactive than we think when we push it way off into the future. Okay, keep going. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Ronnie, where's the Holy Spirit? He's with us. He's in us. He's been sent to make this relationship real. To make the relationship work. He is with us. That's why I, I, I tried to illustrate the other night by a, a revelation that I had about the marriage feast of the Lamb. I saw the Father, you know, kind of in charge of the banquet, presenting it and doing all that kind of stuff. I saw Jesus as the bride. I, I mean, the groom. I saw us as the bride. And I asked one day, where's the Holy Spirit? And I felt like the, the Holy Spirit actually said, well, I'm in all of you. <laughs> I'm there in you. That's what's going on here. Look at what the promise is. He will teach you all things. All things what? Everything we need to know the Father, to know the Son, to engage with Him, to operate, to work, to live an eternal life. How are we doing? Okay. Wow. Uh, keep going. Peace oh, I leave oh, with you. Yeah, you. You got the whole rest of the chapter. Go for it. I won't Just let it roll. You. I won't bug you again. Okay. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you. For the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Okay, so, the, uh, good job. I'll take my glass back. Thank you, thank you. This whole idea of, of keeping his commandment and engaging, which so quickly in our hearts can become this, uh, Jesus is the very pioneer of that. What the Father has commanded me, I do. And I do it so that people will know that the Father sent me. And what the Father sent me to do was not to condemn the world, but was to save the world. It's incredible. It's incredible. Who would like to read? Am I the only one that this is cool for, or does it feel pretty cool? Like God's actually doing something. Okay. I think it's really cool. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> okay. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, stop just a second because mm-hmm. there's not a mark there. <laughs> the, the, the thought of this being cool, I was sitting here thinking, oh, wow, Lord, you're instructing us how to live eternal life. You're instructing this. Okay, go ahead. Okay. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. fruit. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Do you want me to read the one you highlighted? Okay. Go ahead and read 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Okay. This is... I didn't even see this to the degree that I that I did. I mean, I see it more now than the, when I put this together. That whole thing about that is just, here's what I do. Here's what you do. Here's what the Father does for me. This is what you receive from the Father. This is how this all works. And, and I can't tell you how much of my Christian life I tried to find some formula so that Jesus could, so that what he said could be true. That if you abide in me, my word abides in you, ask what you will and be done for you. I've tried to make this into doctrine. I've tried to make it into a pursuit of some sort of personal holiness or something. Now I'm beginning to see this is how the Father and I live, and this is the life yeah, good. we're inviting you into. This is it. Okay. Here. This is my commandment. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but what I want you to say is I don't want you to have any more anxiety over if you love me, you keep my commandments that can be produced by this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. I sat with a bunch of pastors today and I did my uh, Second Chronicles 7.14 thing and I asked a question at the end of it. Is it possible that this is just a distraction from following... What the, or from engaging in the new covenant, or could it be as bad as being idolatry? I realize I offended a number of the people who were deeply involved in prophetic intercessory ministry, but we'll work it out because we still have a relationship. And uh, and so I'm not I'm not trying. You know, is it possible that God's going to call somebody to go stick a rock here or, or a stick here or something? Absolutely, it's possible. But it's based on this, and this is the foundation. This is the thing that I I I I do believe that the Spirit is going to be bearing witness with our spirit. Will you love one another as I have loved you? So I'm not trying to make more of this than it is, but uh, I think that's a big one. That's the commandment. Keep going. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Okay. One of the reasons I think we pushed eternal life off into the future is we realize it's the last reward. You know, in other words, I'm going to live and hopefully I'm going to be rewarded with eternal life. Because in our mind, it had to be made big and distant and that ultimate goodiness at the end. Yay! We made it! Look at what Jesus says. For I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The beginnings of eternal life that these guys were experiencing, that we're experiencing, is the free flow of the heart of the Father to the Son, revealed in the Spirit to us. That's enormous. That's gigantic. That's eternal life. That's, And look at how he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Would you like to bear fruit? Would you like to bear fruit? Great! Jesus appointed us to do exactly that. It's not the byproduct of our grunting and groaning and straining. It's the work of Jesus being allowed to come into us and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And again, here you see this interwoven aspect of the Father and Son and the work of the ministry. Keep going. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Okay, stop for a second. So this is a little uh, triplet set of verses that look at this, this interwoven union and the work that flows from it or doesn't flow from it from the negative side. So what it says here is, for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Okay, because So all these bad things that they could, are going to come on us, persecution, all this kind of stuff, is simply because people do not know. They do not know the one who sent Keep going. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. You see how that's just the opposite? If you love me, my father's going to love you. We're going to be in relationship. The absence, the, the issue really is, is recognizing Jesus and, and, and letting the work of that recognition turn into the life of eternal life. These guys are missing the boat, and that's the reason. Go ahead. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. You want me to keep going? Uh, you turned. You get the point, I think. Yeah, okay. you get the point. Keep going. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled, that it is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. 
And you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay. The thing that I call this verse up for is the same idea. When the Helper comes, here's the Holy Spirit, whom I, I will send. Who sent him? Just a minute ago, he said, I'm going to ask the Father. These guys, I mean, these guys. God is one, and he's working in this kind of, uh, like the song that Jeremy led us in about uh, dancing, my Father God in the fields of grace. You know, all of that interaction, that's real. That's not just a religious projection or hope. This is, this is, this is what God did. I mean, if we go back and, 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 and get revelation about it and think about it, we're going to find it. It, it, it all throughout creation, all throughout God forming a people, all throughout this stuff, there was this dynamic working going on. Amazing. And now that working is visible to you and I in Jesus Christ and made visible even though he is seated at the right hand of the Father by the work of the Holy Spirit making room in our hearts for him to dwell by faith. We are not short of this. We have the word that reveals it, but the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us know Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we are engaged in all this stuff. And we're even included in this. You know, who who, uh, proceeds from the Father? He will testify about me and you will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. He's talking to his disciples, but I think the truth is for us too. Keep going. That, that was the end. Oh, that's the end of the chapter. Yes. Cool. Excellent job. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to go over and just read the first couple of verses of, of 17. These things Jesus spoke and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. See the interweaving? There's no sense of subordination. There's no sense of competition. There's just the same... Huh? No separation. Even as thou has given him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou has given him, he may give eternal life. I'm not here to teach about doctrines of who gets saved and when and how often and how many. But what I'm saying is, is that this interweaving work of them makes provision, obviously, at the very least, for everybody. And that the heart of the Father is being revealed in the Son, and it's being revealed not just through doctrine, but through giving, gifts. Uh, Even as thou gave him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. I'm not going to try to overparse that. I just know that any, this is one of the things that I, I suggested to the, the pastors today at the roundtable. I say, if we get too fancy with our interpretation of uh, God desires that all men be saved and come to knowledge of the truth, or he's not willing that any should be perished, I go, I don't think you've got to believe in just outright a universal reconciliation of that, everybody. I don't, think, I don't think you have to do that to honor the truth of this, that when the Father sent the Son, he sent the Son with the expectation and the desire that his heart would be fulfilled and that everybody would be saved and that nobody would perish. God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, as the Scripture says. So let's just let him be him. We don't have to make a doctrine out of it. We just have to think, and that's what I think we're seeing here, is this is being wrapped up in Jesus. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So I'm going to stop there, and then we might catch this up next week. It it seems to be a little bit helpful. There's some other places we could go to as well. Uh, 
And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, uh, Ronnie, did it answer the question at all about the role of the Holy Spirit in eternal life? Okay. We will talk about it more. It's in John 16. Probably because we skipped it, it doesn't make that much sense. Uh, do you guys see why this isn't some kind of a weird religious hierarchy that is describing eternal life? This is engaging in God. And, and there's, there's a, a, a ton, a ton to learn about that. And second, do you see, or third, I guess, because uh, my first answer was a no. Third, do you see, do you see how things that we have a tendency to try to respond to as a duty are actually an invitation into a relationship? I'm not saying we don't have duty. I'm not saying we shouldn't do and obey. What I'm saying is that there's nothing abstract about it. There's nothing like a list on the outside. It's all about embracing and being embraced in the relationship, in the Word, in the things that the Father said, in what He's doing. And so that there's, there's the reward of not an abstract pat on the head. There is the reward of literally a face-to-face encounter with God when we do what He says. And that is eternal life. And last point, can you see that eternal life is built to last eternally? (laughs) Because it's not a state that you get to. It's a relationship that you begin to enjoy. All right. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, I do thank you. I do think that you did bring some stuff out. I think you brought some revelation. And I I just would treat it... uh, in, in faith, all of us will, Lord, treat it in faith like the seed that it is and let it blossom, let it grow in us. If there's any areas of insecurity that we walked into the room uh, with tonight about our status and relationship to you, your love for us, you dwelling in us, about the Holy Spirit being released on our behalf, I just pray that all of that will be erased. And Father, if we have any tendency at all to push eternal life beyond the boundaries of this evening and tomorrow and out into the future. I pray that you would help us reel it back, not as some spiritual abstract, but as the concrete relationship with Jesus as you, Jesus, are revealing the heart and the intentions and the essence of the Father to us. Help us reel it back and enjoy that. Thank you. Amen. Thank you.